Hey everybody, what's up? It's your boy MJ. Just wanted to uh, say a little something about this special content that we're bringing you from Hospice Daron and Postle Robles. Uh, these episodes are made possible by the generous contribution of Jeremy Leffert and Mel Burns. What's up everybody? It's your boy MJ and I'm thrilled to bring you a series of special episodes live from Hospice Daron and Postle Robles. This is the flagship event. Um, it's a biennial event, and it brings together a community of winemakers and wine lovers from around the world. And if you haven't been before, just consider this your invitation to Hospice 2023. Over the next three days, there'll be tastings featuring over 120 international Rhone wine producers. There'll be seminars on what's happening on the forefront of the Rhone thinking and an exclusive live auction. Your boy has a lot in it. And delicious meals paired with Rhone wines. I mean... You know me. I'm. This is heaven. Uh, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm glad you guys are gonna uh, can bring this to you. A series of quick, fun interviews with many of the brilliant winemakers and prominent uh, wine folks that are here this year. You guys ready? Let's get to it. Hey, I'm so excited to introduce Anne Charlotte of Chateau Fontaloup in France. Uh, Anne Charlotte runs this incredible estate, which has been in her family for almost over 100 years. Uh, La Fontaloup. The Fountain of the Wolf. Exact. Okay. It's both famous. Is it Lee D? Lieu D. Lieu D? Lieu D. Lieu D? What she said. <laughs> Situated in the heart of Chateau Neuf de Pop. I know that one. Uh, within the commune of Courtaison. 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 Oh, Courtaison. And the name of the natural spring in the center of the estate. A legend has it that wolves from nearby Mount Ventoux. 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 Ventoux would stop to drink in the spring as they made their way to the provincial plains. And like I said, the chateau was acquired by our family nearly over 100 years ago. Hello, Hello Charlotte. How Good to you? see you. I'm doing great. <laughs> <laughs> we had a blast last night. This is something that we have to share with you guys. So we met last night for the first time. Yes, yes. We had some fantastic sushis and then we had some champagne. Yes. And that yes. was fun. And we had a ton of wine and... Um, yeah. You know, Anne Charlotte, the, the um, Vicky and the HDR people wanted me to interview, but Jeff Cohn, our mutual friend. Oh, yes. He was like, before, uh, uh, before he was like, you have to meet Anne Charlotte. She's just an absolute delight. And so um, we don't have a lot of time, but we'll spend a lot of time this weekend together. And like we spent I hope last so. Night. Um, so give my listeners like the highlights of Chateau Fontaloup, what people should absolutely know about the wines you make. So La Fontaloup is a very, very unique domain. It has been um, bought by my great-grandfather almost 100 years ago. And it's 45 acres in one single plot, which is very rare in Chateauneuf, while the, oh, wow. uh, it's very morselated usually. So we have a single plot. It's planted on the top of a hill. The vines are north-facing and only planted on a sandy soil, which is completely unique in Chateauneuf. So the combination of all those characteristics makes our wine very unique. So we are able to produce very delicate and elegant style of wine and not the, uh, you know, the big block, not the Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Terminator wines. Wine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what about it being south facing is so adds to the character? So north facing will bring uh, more. So it's a cooler spot. Okay. So 
I would say that probably the most important thing is that we are on sand. So just a um, quick uh, thing about the sand, the sandy soil versus uh, rocky soil. Mm -hmm. Chateauneuf is famous for having those Gal big, galets. big galets, Galen, uh, yeah. very big stones, which warm up during the day and stay warm at night. So the roots of the vines planted on a rocky soil stay warm night and days, oh, wow. or days and night. But also, if you put your hand just right above a stone, you will feel the radiation, and those radiation warm the grapes as well. While on a sandy soil, and you made this experience going like on the beach, yeah. Uh, during the summertime, yeah. yes, something like that. <laughs> You're running to you get to, yeah, to, to get the, your beach down. <laughs> yeah, but as soon as the sun is down, after 10 minutes, yeah. the sand is cold. So the roots of my vines are planted on a cooler spot. They always have like really coolness. So it brings freshness to the wine. A little less alcohol as well. And being north facing allow us to have a lot of wind. So it's very, very windy where I am. It is so windy that when I was a child, I thought my secret power was to uh, make the wind blow. <laughs> So, because every time I was looking at a tree, it starts moving. And then my mother wouldn't drive us to the swimming pool if it was too windy. So I spent like days and hours like walking just like that and said, don't look at a tree, otherwise you'll be fucked up and you won't go to the swimming pool. Sorry, forgive my French with the F word. Oh, no, but no, that's signature. I'm from New Jersey. Okay. You've been, oh, yeah, so oh, yeah. you know how Jersey people yeah. are. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that's that's so that's a great story. Um, and then, like you know, with the sandy soils, um, a lot of listeners might know. I mean, that's what Reyes is. Playing. That's that's why those, like you said, the wines are more lifted. They're wreathful. They have more perfume. I didn't realize you, you were on sandy So course. the main difference in between uh, Rayas and myself is uh, I, uh, they make fantastic wines. Right. I'm not sure that I make as good wines <laughs> and they are way more famous than I am. Uh, but anyway, we don't have the same type of sand. Ah. So they have the typical sand from Chateauneuf-du-Pape, which is from the Miocene era. It's the first glacier era. Okay. And the sand we have at my place is the only sand in Chateauneuf-du-Pape coming from the Pliocene era so it's the second glacier um, era so we have a sand which is like beach sand and we still can find some oyster fossils oyster, yeah. mm -hmm. and I remember as a kid I was with my uh, sister Emmanuel and we had our backpacks our towels and the snack and we were pretending that we we're going to the beach so we lay our towel in the vineyard and pretend that we were like having a blast at the beach that's like, that's so cool. <laughs> I mean, like kids don't kids don't play like that anymore. They don't have, they have video games, right? They, they're not gonna play going to the beach. Um, what are you most uh, proud of as a winemaker? Um, that I love my wine. So you know, this is something that I really realized. Being a winemaker is like being a parent. You are expecting mm -hmm. a new child mm -hmm. every year. You don't know what you are going to get. Sometimes you have like the easiest child of the planet. And sometimes, and believe me, I have three kids. You have a pen in the beep, beep, beep. <laughs> so... Um, my producer has one and she's probably as tough <laughs> as your three. <laughs> so, and you know what? You love them. No matter what. No matter what, yeah. And you, you love them because they are your kids. 
And what I'm proud is to let the the wine, the vine express themselves, mm-hmm. as I try to do with my kids. So it's not a question of uh, like saying to the kids or to the wine you have to do that way it's for you a question of following that mm. and i was very proud when i understood that our terroir was very unique and that we really have to be super focused on that side and follow and just give the rules you know don't do that but that's it <laughs> so like um when did you actually when did you take over the winemaking duties um 20 years ago my father decided that he was fed up to be a winemaker in Chateauneuf-du-Pape, <laughs> so basically he gave me the keys and said, you know what, your turn, good luck, phone me if you need, but not too, too often. So I work with my fantastic husband, Laurent, so the two of us make a super good team. Uh, that's, uh, yeah, what's that like? So it's odd, sometimes people like... It's hard to work with your spouse, but it seems to be working for you guys. So you know what? I usually travel six months out of a year. So this is why our marriage works that well. Otherwise, I think my husband would have killed me way before. (laughs) (laughs) I I bullshit you not. Um, My parents were married for 50 years and also my, my aunt and uncle. And someone asked, they said, how did you stay married for so long? She's like, uh... I worked nights and he worked days. Like, they, like yeah. they, they didn't see, like, you know. We don't see each other yeah. a lot. Yeah. But when we are not with each other, we are super happy. And when we are <laughs> together, we are super happy as well. <laughs> so you said your grandfather uh, bought it over 100 years ago. What's like the most memorable bottle from your estate that, that you've had? Um, I would say there's a couple that I had, but one of my, my great memory was for our wedding. And I was allowed to pick the wine that, of course, I was allowed to pick the wines that I wanted to drink that day. And it was a Fond du Loup 85. So it was fantastic. And so uh, this is a great memory. Um, But I have plenty more. I try to have one memory for each bottle of wine that I Mm. uh, drink usually. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what I like the most is just to share the wine with the people I like. Mm -hmm. Um, This is what I'm... No, what I like the most. (laughs) (laughs) So um, we just got started. Um, What what and it might even be from here. What what have you enjoyed tasting since you got here last night? (laughs) Yesterday. Uh, okay, right now I drink so much champagne, <laughs> but uh, as wine, there's a lot of winemakers that I enjoy. I love uh, Chris Cherry from uh, Maha, Villa Creek. Mm-hmm. They make incredible wines. Uh, of course, Justin Smith from Saxum. Mm-hmm. The wines are bigger, but very well done and well, well balanced. Right? Yeah, yeah. Very well balanced. Yeah. So I like the wines like that. Of course, the Jeff's Con wines that I like a lot as well. Mm-hmm. So. I'm very eclectic in terms of wine, yeah. and my personal cellar is full of uh, American wines. And we are live here at the Black Wine Guy Experience. S- feel like we're in New York City or some <laughs> shit, right? <laughs> <laughs> we are definitely not. <laughs> But we feel like. (laughs) So, yes, my personal cellar is full of uh, wine from around the world. So U.S. a lot, but also some uh, wine from Austria, Germany. So I like to be eclectic. Okay, that's so cool. So so listen, this is this is going to this is going to hurt. But like um, this is the last question. Um, Three grapes. 
You you uh you gotta love one, you gotta like one, and you gotta ditch one. Grenache, Syrah, or Movedra? Uh, actually, I'm sorry, I don't know what ditch means. Uh, dump. <laughs> oh, okay. <gasps> Mortar, kill it off. Uh, none of them actually. Do you want me to kill one yeah, of my grapes? Yes, yes, you have to. Yeah, you have to. I would Choose. say maybe. <laughs> Maybe Syrah, but okay. I will never do that to Syrah anymore. <laughs> so let's say if I really have to, you really I have will, to. Okay, I'll say I. So obviously, I, I'm, I'm saying you love Grenache because I love Grenache, okay. and my love of Grenache comes from my love of Pinot Noir. Yeah, I love Pinot Noir. Okay. So then I realized that uh, Grenache could can be like it's a very relative. See how Grenache she didn't answer the question. She's not going to kill a grape. Pinot I love Noir. It. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I'm a bit like a politician, you yeah, know, I, you I, answer I, I, a question, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you ask a question, well, I won't I, answer. I, I, yeah, yeah, so exactly. let's say, um, I love Grenache and Mourvedre equally, Okay. maybe Syrah okay. a little less. All right. Okay, perfect. So just to finish up, I agree with you. I say all the time that Pinot Noir wants to be Grenache when it grows up. Yeah, because Grenache has this incredible range, and like you said, and, and, and like the people like you make it so delicate and beautiful, like lifted like a, a Pinot, and then but then you can get hefty, hefty, hefty. So, You're right. Um, don't forget to turn I, the I, page. I know. Don't forget to turn the page. <laughs> <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> and Charlotte, thank you so much for doing this with best. me. You're the best. <laughs> mm. Tell people where they can find you. Are you? Do you have Instagram? You have social media? Or so is it your website? I have Instagram. Uh, La Fond du Loup, I think it's my Instagram. Yep. We also have Facebook. Okay. And um, you can just find me on my personal page as well, Anne Charlotte Bachas. That's my full Bachas. name. Bachas. Okay. And so otherwise, check La Fond du Loup and you will find us. And we are very well distributed all around the US, especially in New York, yeah. where my team does a very good job. My importer do a very good job there. Okay, great. Well, thank you again. Merci. Mwah, very French. <laughs> hey, everybody. Uh, my next guest is proprietor and winemaker Russell P. Frome from Herman Story Wines. How you doing? Good. Glad you're here. Uh, Russell began Herman Story in 2001 with seven barrels stashed. This is what I have in my notes. Stashed. I'm going to ask you about that. Right. And his employer's cellar. Uh, what started as a modest, modest homage to his rancher grandfather has become a beacon of those seeking opulent structured Syrahs and Grenache and to maintain balance while giving full flavor uh, Russell works with 30 top tier vineyards in over seven distinct growing regions between Santa Barbara and Paso Robles uh, vineyards of particular note include Binacito, Larner, Shadow Canyon, Shell Mountain and White Hawk and as his bio states and I do love this these are no Nazis balls to the wall wines <laughs> that are not for the fate of heart or the pinky raising set Welcome, Russell. Is there anything else you want to include? Uh, no, that sums it up right there. And, and, and a fun fact, uh, Russell's assistant winemaker is this, I don't, know, I don't even know Chris's last name, Crazy Chris from fucking Virginia. Yeah, Chris Caronby. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah uh, he's like our GM. Yeah. And then, yeah, we have all kinds of people over there. We have, yeah. It's a fun bunch. He sent me, a, he sent me the, the six-pack picture, the photo oh, of you guys. Oh, yeah. Guys with their six-packs. But, um... <clears throat> We don't have a whole lot of time. We're going to sit down and do this another time. You come to New York, we're at the market. Love to have you on the podcast proper. Yeah. But um, tell people, um, like, let's talk about Seven Barrel Stashed in your employer's cellar. So uh, back back in 2001, I worked for a big custom crush in uh, Santa Maria. 
and uh, custom crush back then there weren't very many places where someone could just buy grapes from a vineyard and make wine and mm -hmm. so I worked the big side of the whole thing where we were pushing 5,000 6,000 tons and in the back, very back corner they allowed me to make a little bit of wine and uh, the Miller family who owned Bienacito mm -hmm. Central Coast Wine Services all this stuff and uh, it's uh, it's inspired me to do the same for my employees I have five five employees that make wine at my place Chris being one of them yep. and uh, St. K and then Lost Blues and Cameron with Ultima Thule. I mean, you could you could do yeah, you I've could had, sit there and I do know. a whole podcast I week know. and never leave the building. Right, right. And <laughs> wait, and uh, y y your wife is Des Desperada. Desperada, yeah. Failia, yeah, my wife. Yeah, she, she's in Tin City, and then uh, uh, two of her people make wine, and then they have a bubble project. We have all kinds of things always in the works. You never get bored. Yeah, I, I, uh, when I first came out, I was like, oh, those are, you guys are called the cool kids out here because you just. <laughs> Right, the, yeah, the cool kid. Today, I'm the we're the hungover kids. Yeah, that we're, is. 100%. Yeah, we, we yeah we had a lot of wine last night, bonfire, and the rain came. We haven't had rain, so we did. We were rain dancing and enjoying that to all the rain for the vineyards, and so it was it was a fun time. It was a fun time. So, um, let's talk about balls to the walls wines, man. Like what. What was your inspiration to create these? I mean, I like these wines. Right? And, you know, Thank you. I like wines that have flavor. You know, I like yeah. voluptuous wines. I, I like some <clears throat> when I'm yes. drinking my wines. <laughs> well, we we do this. Or we, the main two. There's a few secrets, and I'll tell tell you all of them. The <laughs> the low yield. Mm -hmm. So we have to crop everything way down to low to very little yield and not do so much water so that we can get the sugars we want. Mm -hmm. And to get these opulent, bigger wines, you need to get higher sugar. And so vines only have a certain amount of energy, so we crop them down. We also, uh, we wait to pick until they taste good. I don't even take a, I, I don't even have a refractometer mm -hmm. or sugar tester in my, wow. in my truck. I just taste. And I, if I taste green or I taste uh, potential left, I look at the vines, they still have green leaves. I leave them and I push. But the, it's the, the balls to the walls, when you make big monster wines, there's a difference between making a big monster wine, I think, professionally tasting. Yes. Meaning it's not sweet, mm -hmm. it's dry. All mm -hmm. our wines are dried, yep. unfiltered. Yep. And in order to do that, you can't if you leave sugar, you're gonna re-ferment. So to get it just at the precipice. And really that's hard thing to do is to keep and to preserve that wine that and to get it all the way. We run into rains where most like Pinot producers will pick and then we'll have two more rains that we have to deal with. Mm -hmm. And um, talk about balls, you have to sometimes let it piss rain and knowing how many tons of grapes you still have hanging out. Mm. And often I am the only guy in town in this situation because if you go to most vineyards, people laugh. They say, oh, whose grapes are those? You got grapes <laughs> hanging in Enda Valley. I saw grapes on the vine. Got to be yours, buddy. <laughs> and I said, yep, you're damn right. So uh, yeah, what do you do? And they're in Tahiti. But... Uh, <laughs> But uh, that's 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 it. You just got to push the limits, and um, and uh, you know it's it's easy. It, it's if I worked for a winery, I wouldn't push as hard as I push. Mm. But since it's my stuff, I risk and I push it all the way to the end. I love that. And that's man. that. Yeah. Somebody asked me once, where did I learn all this? I said, when I started using my own money, I got real smart real quick. You know? Yeah. <laughs> People are like, why is your podcast so good? You know how deep I'm into this podcast. Man. <laughs> right, right. You're like, well, I'm not yeah. standing here with a fucking uh, tape recorder, like, yeah, 
catching people as they come out the room. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it, when it becomes a passion, you got to throw all, yeah. all you got to, if you put yep. everything into whatever you're doing it and, 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 and you know, that's almost become cliche. I guess people always say, Oh, put all your effort in, but really get involved. No, but how many people actually do that? It. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, it can be cliche, but how many people actually really like yeah. walk the walk, you know, if you're making brake parts, maybe you just make <laughs> cheap brake parts, <laughs> right. but when you're making something of art, you want it to be good. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, and it's an homage to like your, your, your family. So you, you, the names are, you want it to like, you want them to be proud. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, like, um, and you also have these really cool wines, like um, talk about uh, Late Bloomer, just because I just love so that wine. Late which, which, by the way, I'll tell you about it. Go ahead. Tell about Late Bloomer. So I'm sorry. Late Bloomer. <laughs> Grenache is one of those varieties that loves time in barrel, and it just gets better and finer, the tannins, and especially if we do whole cluster, and that, that whole cluster takes a while to be become like the the kind of Christmassy cookie thing going on in, the, in, mm-hmm. in Grenache. And so I wanted to do an extended age Grenache, and uh, I had this picture of myself when I was in seventh grade on my fridge, and I was with my buddy Mike Rad, and we were drinking wine, smoking a little bit, making food, and uh, we, 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 he goes, you should call it Late Bloomer, bam. And I said, that's what I'm going to do. So we started at three years in barrel, and then we went to four years in barrel, but it's a contest. We run to our mailing list and wine club. We say, hey, send us your best of the worst. And so every year it's a different person on there. Yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, my wife is the one, we're bookend. So I was the first one in 2010. And uh, some people say, oh, it's awful you do that to people, the customers. I said, well, I was the first one. So that take that off the plate. And then my <laughs> wife is the current one. And so, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. And she, hers, she's, we, people send us a lot of cute pictures. It really has to be really bad. And then there's some that are so bad we don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a fun fact. I was rejected from the late bloomer. Chris hit me up. He's like, you didn't have one like two years ago. He's like, dude. And I sent him a picture like, dude, you're always good looking. I'd send my, I was like, this, I was like, no, I was like, yeah, yeah. I got rejected. Damn it. I, I just being next to you, I would say you're way too handsome to be a late bloomer. <laughs> so, um, what are you most looking forward to this weekend? Uh, you know what I'm looking for? I, I and I've already gotten a fill from uh, the from going to the lunches and, mm-hmm. and the, the camaraderie, mm-hmm. you know, all the Rhone people that make Rhone wines from all over the world and uh, and a lot of customers we haven't seen. And just to be doing a tasting. We haven't done one in so long. And uh, but to see just the effort that everybody puts into it, too. And this is one of the best run events like. A lot of events, we lug all our wines. Mm-hmm. For this event, they are all at our table, so we don't come in all sweaty mess and just worked <laughs> when they and 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 it's just and it's just really done right. And uh, it's always fun, and there's always a great crowd. But to see all the the French winemakers and Australian winemakers, and that kind of makes you feel to pinch yourself and go, "Wow, this is this is a real cool job I got." You know? Yeah. Wow. That's that's really cool. Um, so. I, I like fucking with people, so okay. I have this thing where there's no bucket over my head. No, no, okay. no. We're not. Woo. It's not a what's that shit called? That's Bobby. Not Fox. Nickelodeon, right? Yeah, yeah. Bobby uh, Fox just wrote, <laughs> walked by. He's Bobby a, Fox, a, unofficial mayor of Paso. <laughs> when are you gonna come out and say it's time to, time to be mayor, Bobby Fox? That's my harvest T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> they, 
they look like they like they did they're doing something sort of they're walking out with some cases like Right. Past the yeah. past the the barriers. You never know. There's always surprises here at hospital. Um, <laughs> so um, we're gonna play this fun game where you have to choose. You you know you have to marry a grape, you have to like a grape, and you have to ditch a grape. Grenache, Syrah, or Mavedra. Choose which one do you love? Which one do you like? Which one are you ditching? Syrah. I'm going. Oh, this is tough. I, yeah. you gotta, I'm I'm exposing myself, not physically, but yeah. but uh, you're the, showing your wine making Syrah, ass. Syrah, <laughs> and I'd probably dump Morved. Okay. Oh, it's hard. To I say. know. Isn't it hard? I, I, that, I mean, I picked them because we're at a own. I mean, you guys right. love all these. Like it's like, but uh, everybody's got their favorite. You know, yeah. so and only because sometimes it smells like poo poo. Yeah, and so I say, well, if it smells like poo poo, sometimes it's got to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, thanks. if that makes sense, you it know, totally, I yeah, think you're it right. totally makes sense. <laughs> Listen, one of one of the things when I when I before I started the podcast, I used to do these. I used to do crazy reviews, and I would just I would just keep it real with people. And like, I had like a '95 or an '85 Cologne Segur, and literally, it I was like it. it I was like shit dip pencil tip. It, it literally that's what it smelled like, you know. Yeah. So I get it. If it's and I'm so I'm I'm not a huge. I'll drink Bordeaux, but I'm 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 live on the Central Coast pretty much when right. it comes to like my daily drinking. And Grenache can go. You can grow Grenache in Santa Maria. You can grow Grenache in West Paso. You can grow Grenache a lot of places. So I almost ditched it for that fact. Yeah. You can do the same with Syrah. You get different character. Morvedra. You know, one thing that it does have for itself, it can only grow in certain areas where there's a lot of heat. Yeah. It's not going to yeah. – I've tried Santa Maria, Morved. Yeah. Oh, it's tough. Yeah. It's, yeah. like, really yeah. hard. Yeah. So, Russell, tell everybody where they can find you, how they can be a part of everything you're doing at Herman Story Wines, man. Uh, you can go on our website. We have uh, – it's kind of a basic website. We keep it basic because uh, we don't want to get too fancy. Um, you know, we have a lot of playful stuff and our tasting notes and all this stuff. Yeah. And we do all kinds of weird shit at the winery <laughs> and weird marketing stuff. Uh, we're a pretty good Instagram site that we all work on. And uh, But at the same, uh, you have to make great wine. Number one, qual- making fine wine. The finer the wine, the more we can really let our hair down and do the yes. stupid shit and yeah. not worry about like somebody either getting offended or yeah. thinking it's stupid. Like, what is this guy doing? Does he- <laughs> I very much take the wine serious and uh and we have a good time who who doesn't want that we're not stale but Love go to it, our man. thing yeah we have nerdy tech all kinds of stuff and you can just we think we have a you can you can you need wine just email us or call us <laughs> we got you yeah you even have a phone we have live person right now this second <laughs> boom that's awesome man thanks so much russell for yeah coming here thank you this, we're gonna do a long yeah. one yeah we're gonna do a long one yeah. Yes. That'd be awesome. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. Well, cool. I'll see you later. We'll be drinking later and oh yeah, forget about last night and start drinking again. So yeah, I, I have some Coors Lights under my table. There you go. This isn't live, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> Perfect. Hey everybody, what's up? I'm so excited to be here with uh, my next guest, which is Christoph Baron of Bionic Wines. Uh, Christoph's family dates back to the mid 17th century. And Charlie Sermonia and Champagne. How do you say that? Charlie Sermonia. Charlie Sermonia. Great pronunciation. 
You did just perfect. And um, he studied viticulture and champagne in Burgundy. And after meeting an American in Burgundy, Christophe was convinced to head west to Oregon and Washington and discovered their stony vineyards. He bought his first vineyard, Cayuse, in 1997. He now farms that biodynamically. He has, as you will come to see, an unstoppable energy. <laughs> He's impeccable sense of style. <laughs> as you can see, this is not my fault, but I tell you why I'm like that. Yeah. Uh, he has a lot of ambition, and he has uh, just the utmost respect for the land. Um, his bionic wines portfolio is mind-boggling. includes Champagne Christophe Baron, Cayuse, Whore Category, Horsepower, and No Girls. Indeed. Uh, Christophe's wines have reached cult status along with critical acclaim. We got so much stuff, I gotta turn the page. Welcome, Christophe. Merci. Welcome to you guys, too. Yes, yeah, yes. Thank you for having me. Hey, you know, you, you, you mentioned, you know, you noticed my style. Yeah, I the, love the, your the, style. The man. glasses like yeah. this and the beads and everything. Yeah. We, we are not in the New Orleans here. We are in Paso Robles. <laughs> yes, we are the Hospice du Rhone. It's 2022. <laughs> 2022. All right, and we are having a great time. Yes. And then we just, somebody at the table told me, hey, you've got the black. You know, uh, one that black guy, guy who drinks wine. The black one guy <laughs> at one at, at one one twenty, and then I was like, "Oh my god! Oh my god! I'm I'm gonna be late." So I grab a bottle of of this wonderful rosé. This is the reason why I've got those rosé glasses yeah. right there, and this is to to clean the palate. And then from there, we'll go to our wine. So, let's. Uh, very exciting to be here. What's going on? Well, well, first of all, tell me, like. You knew, you, like he's set for the, I mean, you didn't know they were having the shades, but his roses on his shirt. Yes. Come on. French yeah. shirt right here. Indeed. I've got style. I'm French. You know, it's true. <laughs> it's, you fucking, like, America, we hate French dudes. Like, French dudes come to the wine tasting, and it's it's like, ah, the accent is done. I know. It's over. I'm sorry about you know? it. It just fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So, <laughs> listen, uh, we don't have a whole lot of time, no. so I'm just going to jump right in because um, yes. there's so much, uh, you know, uh, to talk about. Um, tell everybody, like, about how you, well, first of all, about your family and your history in Champagne. In Champagne. I mean, like you said, I mean, we are from Champagne. We are, like, from an area that we are very close to Paris. We live about an hour uh, uh, northeast of Paris, and we've been living in the same village called Charlie-sur-Marne yep. since the 17th century. Wow. Along the Marne Valley, we are tending vineyards there. Mm. We have uh, proof on paper that we've been actually farmers and, and, and vignerons there since 1677. So this is all we do. Yeah. You know. it's, it's literally in your blood. In my blood, in yeah. my veins, indeed. Wake, wake up and have a glass of champagne every morning? I, uh, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Depends on the uh, occasion, yeah. but quite often we do. So you studied, you did study viticulture though, yes. and 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 um, and 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 then what? Who was this American you met that uh, kind of spurned your interest in the new world? Okay, from from Champagne, I, I transferred in Burgundy. Okay, there, and I spent three years there in Beaune in Dijon, and I met an American guy there who bought some land in the Willamette Valley at the time, mm -hmm. and at the time there was like. DDO, Domaine Drouin, Oregon, was a big buzz in Burgundy and in Bonn. And I really wanted to come to the United States and actually to discover and see what was going on. This is how I ended up being in the Pacific Northwest. Okay, okay. And then, um, like you said, you, you, you know, your family makes champagne, you make champagne. You were in Burgundy, so you were talking Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, and originally that's what you were going to do in the New World. This is what I was going to do. I was definitely dreaming about buying a piece of land 
in the Willamette Valley, probably near Dundee, mm -hmm. 10 or 20 acres mm -hmm. there, okay. and, and planting uh, uh, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. And <laughs> I knew that was my destiny in a new world. I really knew yeah. that. Because I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to be the next wine. I'm not going to work on, on, on the Drones family cocktail. <laughs> I mean, I say cocktail or yeah, co or, yeah, cocktail. Or cocktail. No, yeah. It's a cocktail. No, it's that is the same, you know. Cocktail, cocktail. <laughs> the same. Right? It's all good. You got it. You got it. <laughs> and and then so, but I was visiting a friend in Walla Walla because I spent about a year there, and then everywhere I would go, I have my French atlas, and I would show photograph of what was going on in uh, the world of wine. And I showed the photograph of Chateau Neuf du Pape okay. with all those stones. Yep. I said, look, in France, we grow vineyards in very inhospitable, very rugged type of terroir and he goes like oh I know where there's stones like this in the Walla Walla Valley I said really? I said yeah I said next day I said please take me there I want to see that before I go back to the Willamette Valley and that's it that's how it started being in Walla Walla yeah so um, you're and so that's you're in the Rocks District correct? Well, there is the art district and there is the stones. My okay. art is in the stones, okay. you know. In, 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 in French, in, and in France, we have, a, we have like 10 words for the same thing. Yes, yes. Right? Yeah. But we cobblestone, caillou. Caillou mm. in French means stones. Okay. That's so that, that's caillou. Okay. Exactly. And that's, ah. the reason why, that's the reason why for me, stones are a little more appropriate than the other world. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing wrong about that. You know I'm French. I'm I don't say you know the French. Got to be difficult, right? <laughs> Always difficult. So difficult, indeed. Très difficile. Très très difficile, indeed. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, so you saw you saw the stones. Yes. And you said you said, "Fuck it, I'm gonna make Syrah and Grenache." Yes. That's. <laughs> That was it back in 1997. That was a big, that was pure serendipity. This is how it happens. You know, you're like, when I'm not moving to Willamette Valley, I'm staying in Walla Walla. Believe me, Walla Walla at the time was not what it is right now. Yes, yeah. You know, for yeah. a 23 year old French man, he was quite different. The nightlife was different. Everything was different, right? But you know what? I decided that, hey, this is an opportunity to create something very, very special. So, therefore, I decided to stick and stay in Walla Walla. Oh, very cool, very cool. So, you have uh, the, the, the um, overarching bionic wands. I don't know what your corporate structure is. But then you, um, you have horsepower, which you did a seminar earlier. Tell people about horsepower, like the, where, what the concept behind the vineyard is. I mean, horsepower, it's... it's, it's Oh my God! How how to start? We only have fifteen minutes. I know. We're, we're gonna get you on the podcast in New York, uh, Harmon. Bring right. bring Christoph out. Yes, Harmon Skernik, please bring the Bionic Frog to New York. Yeah, I'll be there next week. By the way, really? Yes, because we have the Skernik. Uh, oh, you have the great DPC. All right, yes. now I gotta go book in the studio time. We're supposed to be taking a break, but this is what happens. <laughs> <laughs> like you come to town. All right, so we'll, <clears throat> yeah, we'll, we'll hook it up. All right, perfect. All right. So I mean, the thing is, horsepower is a hoofbeat of tradition. Yeah. This is high density vineyards okay. in the Walla Walla Valley. Mm -hmm. It's three by three feet, mm -hmm. you know, or three and a half by three and a half. Mm -hmm. It's very very condensed, and it it creates like a pure essence of terroir here. I mean. Mm -hmm. The stones are very beautiful. The terroir is unique and, and different than everywhere you can go to the world. The ones are very, very unique and beautiful. Then horsepower, it pushed the envelope even further in terms of, of opening that gate of terroir. Mm -hmm. You know, because of that, it creates a microclimate. There's a lot of shade in between the rows. 
through the the fruit zone, mm. and and that means like it reach a physiolo- physiological ripeness at lower bricks. So you have wines at like thirteen and a half percent alcohol. Yeah. Most likely with a lot of savouriness, black olive, mini <clears throat> character. Yeah. It's 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 very very unique. Yeah. No, they're definitely on the savory side of uh, Syrah, um, for sure. You know, because we're here in Paso Robles. You know, it gets hot here, so um, different style of wine. Um, in the seminar, you know, you were that Jeb uh, Dunnick uh, moderated. He, you, you said, you, I think you even said, the wines, why do you find these, your wines can be polarizing? They are polarizing because they are completely different. I mean, if you're mainstream, that means like everybody loves the wine. Yeah. And it's boring. <laughs> you know, what you want to do is like something, it's like art. Yeah. It's like, wow. it's, like, it's like impressionism versus modern art. I like both, but some people cannot stand modern art. Mm-hmm. They prefer... You know, to look at a beautiful Van Gogh, mm-hmm. Renoir, mm-hmm. Monet, mm-hmm. Uh, Gauguin mm-hmm. painting. And there's nothing wrong about that. It's just a matter of taste. Yeah. That's the reason why I said is those wines are very polarizing. <laughs> and in my opinion, if you create something like that, in my words, mission accomplished. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So I got to ask. No girls. What is that name about, right? No girls. You, you, you haven't got any shit for that, man. No <laughs> hey, even Skernik don't want to carry the wine. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I, they I don't like, want. I mean, Armin and yeah, yeah, and David and and you know they don't want to carry it. Like, oh, I don't know about that. You know, no offense. I know. I mean, fifty percent of the ladies think it's completely outrageous. Exactly. Right, right. And the right, other fifty percent, right. it's like horsepower. But let's put it this way: in Walla Walla, in two thousand two, I bought some building downtown. Okay. On Main Street, okay. between 4th and 5th, okay. and those were the oldest brothel in Walla Walla, still in service until the mid-50s. Wow. And I bought them and nothing has changed. <laughs> All right? And a lot of people ask me what I want to do with those buildings. Well, you know what I want to do. <laughs> I want to renovate. <laughs> you no, know, I, I want those buildings. Those buildings are like the shame of downtown Walla Walla. Right. And one day they are going to be... The proud, the 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 proud. How you say mm-hmm. that? The, the the pride of the pride of, of of downtown at some point. Yeah. Yes. And inside, no girls. When you go up the uh, the uh, the stairway, mm-hmm. there. I mean, on the top, on the second floor, there's a sign and painting in red. It says no girls. <laughs> I mean, when they close the business, they close it for good. Uh, and that's the reason why. So we thought that would be great to use this on a label because, you know, voila, voila, 100 years ago was not as glamorous than it is now <laughs> with the wine industry. Yeah. Right. That's right. all it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so that's it's like never forget your roots. Absolutely. I love that. Never. I, I, so I, that's I, the reason why for us it was very important to take care of that. That's, that's and remember so that, that sign. That's so cool. Um, so... What are you most proud of um, as a winemaker? Oh, what am I most proud of? For me, my team. Oh, I love it. First of all, I'm not a winemaker. You're a vigneron. I'm a vigneron. Yeah. A vigneron. I'm a wine grower. I'm a wine creator. I'm a wine... I sell wines. Yeah. I have to sell the wines yeah. with the team, and I, I'm a wine lover, and I drink wine all the time. You know, this is what a vigneron is. And my team, as a vigneron, is the most important thing. You can have all the great ideas yeah. if you don't have the best team and the dream team. Yeah. This doesn't happen. Yeah. Things doesn't happen. Yeah. So this is my my proud my team. Yeah. And so, what are you most excited about about hospice this year? 
Ah ben là, c'est plus des yeux. Yeah. It's back! <laughs> It's back and look at that in style. We are drinking. You know, we're having fun. Tonight, we're going to have a, a vigneron dinner downtown. We're going to get cocktails. We're going to wake up tomorrow morning, maybe a little hangover. It's okay. It's the Hospice du Rhône. There's nothing wrong about that. We are alive. We love it. Well, right on. Thank you so much, Christophe, for coming to chat for a few minutes. Right. Um, tell everybody how they can find you, be a part of the whole Bionic wine family. Ooh, that's my goodness. It's a tough question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know, maybe a QR code somewhere. I have no idea. Go on our website, bionicwines.com, B-I-O-N-I-C, wines.com. And there's the umbrella. This is the umbrella, and we have all our different domains. Okay. All the lists are closed. We are sold out. We have wedding lists. But guess what? Today, if you sign today, because of the hospice drone, today is your day. Today's your day. I'm opening the list. We are opening the list for uh, friends and, and people who want to be right on the list today because of the hospice drone. One day only. Yes. Awesome, man. That's it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, thanks again. Appreciate you. Looking forward to drinking some cocktails with you. Maybe. <laughs> Waking up banged up tomorrow, you know. All right. <laughs> All right. All right. Good. Thank you very much. Get the kiss. Hey, hey, hey. And cheers. <laughs> Oh my God, what's up everybody? If you follow me on Instagram, which is why I have a podcast, um, you know that I am a huge fan of Turtle Rock Wines. I'm thrilled to introduce uh, to you guys their founder, winemaker, and actually he's a good friend of mine, Don Burns, everybody. Um, Don is a native son of Paso Robles, and his uncle Tom Westberg of Westberg Cellars was a pioneer in winemaking in Paso in the 80s and gave Don his first exposure to the craft. Um, so much study, so much so that you, you studied ag business at Cal Poly. I did. Okay. I did. And in 2007, Don started working with his high school pal Justin Smith at the one and only Saxon Winery, and it was there he got a true appreciation of sustainable, chemical-free winemaking. Uh, not long after that, he started Turtle Rock with his beautiful wife Claudia, and their 2016 and 2017 Maturin, which is a blend of Syrah. Graciano and Grenache from the James Berry Vineyard. Um, each received 99 points from Jeb Dunnick. Um, Jeb also named their 2017 Maturin number five in his top 100 wines. And more importantly, on my first ever top 10 wines of the Let's year was Westberg Red. And I've been saying, I love all your wines. The mature, I you know I love it. I, every I time know, I drink I one of your wines, I <clears throat> send you the picture. But like that fucking Westberg Red, bro. Well, and, and I think Advocate. <laughs> just came out and our highest scoring wine was our Westberg Red. Yep, and I and I, I think I commented on, I don't and know. You, if, and you missed oh, my 100 points from Jeff. No, I was going to say, yeah, and, 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 yeah, and you like, just well, got, hold on, bro. Yeah, I know, I know, you just got, a, you, you just know, got 100 points. Don't tell me short. No, that, was that the 2018? 2019. 2019, you just yeah. got 100 points from Jeff. This is my research team, I don't do this. <laughs> They're great. They, They're they great. are great. They, they're so nah, into wine you now. you know how much we care about. I mean, we do care about scores, but you know it's not our focus. Yeah, you know? no, it's Before just you or me, you know, beautiful it's, wines, man. Exactly, you know? and people. And yeah, so, um, wow, man. So tell me people, we don't have a whole lot of time. We're going to yeah. get you on the podcast <clears> proper. But you also, you were in hospitality, right? You lived on the yeah, East Coast was, for a second, right? Yeah, I was at uh, Roos Chris Steakhouse, so... In the uh, restaurant business, doing doing some work and wine buying over there, and uh, just you know, after a while, I was like, man, why am I out here slinging wine when I could be back there making wine? Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, we just finally decided to 
sell everything come back to california and go for it and we're live guys here we go <laughs> yeah sorry about that <laughs> like, holy shit, that, that was, was a train <laughs> that was a we're train like, it's like, okay you think yeah. we're doing this like in times square <laughs> i know right hey we're paso hey paso is sleepy. happening it's, man it's actually it's on and popping it's got it going on <laughs> it's a good spot People don't know. Now you know. If you don't know, now you know. You know. Um, so um, exactly. you you pack everything, move back. Yeah. And um, and and then what did you do? Like you just I, did you go I, to Justin's house and knock I on the literally door? walked over to Justin's house, knocked on the door, and said, uh, "What time are you starting tomorrow?" And he said eight, and I showed up at seven fifty nine, <laughs> and I didn't leave until he gave me a job, which was like a year and a half later. Um, I just wanted to absorb everything, learn from him, see what he was doing. And, uh, you know, it really just fortunate to have that opportunity, um, but also smart enough to absorb it and learn and, and yeah. take, take away the good things. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's where it all started. He's, he's the godfather in this area as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, yeah. I learned from the best and, uh, I think I'm, I'm doing it justice. Oh, no, without a doubt, man. Um, but let's, so... <clears throat> you went to him to learn, but your uncle was actually a pioneer here. So talk about and, and like I yeah. said, that's one of my favorite wines, the Westberg. Yeah. yeah so just, we, we make Zinfandel just because of my uncle. It was one okay. of his favorite grapes to produce. Um, and he was here making wine in the late '80s, which was pretty early on. That's early for him. Um, and he unfortunately went over to the dark side and started doing commercial winemaking, uh, which <laughs> you know I still love him. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so he he ended up working for uh, a, a large company and making you know a couple million cases a year or something like that yep. so I, I like to say he's actually a far better winemaker than i am mm-hmm. i'm more of a grower and a uh a a someone who just helps the grapes become what they want to become not someone who changes them and he was very good at manipulation you know standardized ph's standardized mm-hmm. formulas and um but he did help me get in the business he's the one that brought me to paso so uh we wanted to make zin so we made a zin yeah. but i made it more in my style than than his gotcha gotcha so um the name turtle rock where did that come from yeah so i mean the monterey shale formation these giant white calcareous stones that we Mm -hmm. have everywhere very important in our soil what makes our grapes so great um when they wear down over time they look like turtle shells Mm -hmm. so we uh called them turtle rocks growing up they look like turtles just laying in the vineyards and and uh, everybody i know called them turtle rocks so that was it. And and I totally remember like um Jeb, you know, you he was giving he gives you, you great. You mean story. that guy? Yeah, that guy. He's nice. <laughs> Jeb Jeb had wrote he, he wrote um, you know, if you're looking for the next big thing coming out of Paso Robles, it's gonna be Turtle Rock. And I got in on that list before that shit got closed. Well, it, it's closed now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah. Jeb's been driven great for us and great for the area, too. Yeah. Uh, no. And Roan Wines in general, which yeah. is kind of what we're here for, right? Yeah. Absolutely. That's what we're here for. So what are you most proud of as a, as a winemaker? I think uh, the the dedication to the farming and the uh, the lack of chemical, you know, the, the sustainability and the actually organic for us. We're not certified in our all of our vineyards, but they all are, are farmed organically. And, and just kind of having a bigger picture of what we're doing you know impactfully environmentally and 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 striving for greatness i think you're seeing a nice group of people in paso right now that are really just striving to make the best wine in the world and and it's nice to see that and it drives each other and it keeps the keeps the 
the ball rolling and, and it keeps everybody reaching for the top. And yeah. I think it's just a fun time to be here. Super cool. What are you most excited about uh, about hospice this year, man? I think I'm going to be excited when it's over because my liver's going to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> man, I love this thing and I love seeing everybody and all everybody coming over from France and and coming down from Washington and and you coming out from the East Coast. Uh, it's just great to see people, honestly, and learn and and share knowledge and share wine and. Tomorrow or tonight, I'm gonna try and share a little less wine than I did last night. I know. I'm, I, you know we, we went out Wednesday. I got in town Wednesday. I went out Wednesday night, and I, and I was like, okay, I know where the line is. I'm gonna try and take five steps back from that. And I went like twelve over. Last yeah, night. It, it's you say it every year, and it's funny because it's like, all right, it used to be Thursday through Sunday, then it was Wednesday to Sunday. I think this week it was Monday to Sunday. I'm like, every year it gets just a. We start I mean, a day earlier. Pandemic, it just became, okay. I think everybody's ready to get out and have some fun. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so, man, um, I'll try this one with you. No one's giving me a freaking answer. Uh-oh. All right. So, because we're boys, I'm going to do it. At least way. I'm not blindfolded. All right, it's, it's, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, what was that? Smell my finger. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> you were a champ. <laughs> All right, so this is this is how it was written, but then my producer table. Okay, fuck, marry, or kill. <laughs> Grenache, Sarah, or Movedra. Who you fucking? Who you marrying? Who you killing? That's hard. Fuck That's, the I, Grenache, I, marry the Sarah, and kill the Moved. Awesome. That's pretty so <laughs> easy for me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, brother. Um, love you, man. Love you too. Tell everybody where they can find uh, where they can go to get on the the now soon to be fifteen year waiting list. Uh, it's not. It's only a year. <laughs> Currently, um, turtlerockvineyards.com. Cool. It's the only thing I got. All right, my man. Thanks Love again, you, man. Brother. Love you, brother. Thanks for all your support. All right, everybody. My next guest, um, if you're, it depends on the type of wines you drink, but if you're, if you're a hospice to Rome person, he needs no introduction. If you love wine, I'm sitting here with, he was named the number one wine critic in the world recently, Mr. Jeb Dunnick. Hey, happy to be here. Thanks, man. Uh, a little about Jeb. He's, he was an aerospace engineer by training, and he grew up in a farm in rural Indiana where, where 2% milk was the beverage of choice and wine was hard to come by. <laughs> he traveled extensively throughout the wine regions of Europe and the United States where he quickly developed a passion for the wines of the Rhone Valley and the Rhone Ranger movement in California and Washington. Uh, he launched the Rhone Report publication and website in 2008 and began releasing a quarterly newsletter reviewing Rhone variety wines from around the world. And in 2013, he was approached by Robert Parker to join the Wine Advocate team. Uh, and he gave up his engineering career and wrote full-time for the Wine Advocate. And in 2017, uh, he decided to leave the Advocate and go back to his roots as an independent wine critic, uh, launching his own publication and website at jebdunnick.com. Welcome, Jeb. Ooh. Anything else you'd like to add? No, man, you're hard. Cool, man. So let's just jump right into it because um, you're a busy guy and... Like, hopefully you'll come to New York at some point and we'll get you on a podcast proper. But um, <clears throat> let's talk about an aerospace engineer. <laughs> Where'd you go to school, man? Uh, Ball State University. Oh, home, so you, you home, stayed, yeah, homegrown. Yeah. Home, homegrown. <laughs> homegrown. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like... Was it when you kids you want you were fascinated with rockets? Why aerospace engineer? Uh, you know, in college I loved computers. It was kind of through a love of computers, okay. and uh, I started out as a degree in marketing, and then I switched it to computer science. 
Uh, and then I really wanted to work for Lockheed Martin, and yeah. so that's how I got out of college. So I missed the interview that was uh, scheduled for Ball State, and so I hounded them, I called them, and they let me drive down to Virginia, and they met me off-site for an interview at Lockheed Martin, and I drove down, and I got a first job at Lockheed. And so I moved to upstate New York in, uh, I don't know the date, 1998 or 1999, somewhere okay. in there. And so um, in, in your little intro, uh, you drank a lot of low, uh, <laughs> reduced fat milk, uh, how did you get into wine? <laughs> hey, two percent's like in the middle, man. Passion, two percent. He's like, come on, man. Uh, well, yeah, I had three older brothers and a twin sister, and I think literally we were going to like you know three or four gallons of milk a day or something. Oh it my was just, god, you know, we, we were just dude. That does crazy. sound so homeland, Heartland. Yeah, I was on a farm, eighty <laughs> acres. We had it was a. It was a good place. I wouldn't. I would never live there today. Yeah. But uh, boy, as a kid growing up, it couldn't get any better. Fair. So. Uh, I did um, work abroad okay. in 1996. I lived in London, and then I traveled through France. And so I kind of fell in love with the idea of kind of European culture. And and so that was part of the drive of working with Lockheed. I worked on an operating system that was that was for a Navy helicopter that was going to be based actually kind of in England. I th- was hoping to be able to m- move overseas. And then I, I kind of always loved wine. And I used to drive. I lived in Binghamton, New York, and I would drive to a climbing area called the Shaw Gunks. Uh, which is a famous climbing area. And I used to pass this little wine store every time. And for whatever reason, I stopped over there one time and went in and bought a bottle of wine and loved it ever since. So I kind of, I wrote notes. I went on bulletin boards. Uh, you know, I used to hide 20 bucks a week from my wife. So I go out <laughs> every Friday, I'd go buy another bottle of wine, you know, and that was, that was on a, I was on a small budget. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I drink way above my pay grade. Um, and and I, I read somewhere, didn't you work? You worked at a retail store just for a, 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 a stint. I did. So I worked. I was in Lockheed Martin for uh, a little less than two years in upstate New York. Then I moved to to Boulder, Colorado, and I worked for Ball Aerospace. Um, and it was like 2000, 2000, 2001. And then yeah, so I joined a bunch of tasting groups, and so I would go to like three tasting groups a week. And I used to drive. I had some friends that lived in North uh, in Fort Collins, just an hour drive, and I would do that every week. Um, and so I took a job at Apple Jacks Liquor in Denver, which is a high volume. And it was, it, I stocked my fair share of Yellowtail. Yeah, And exactly. uh, it was such an eye-opening experience. It was so educational for me because, you know, if you're geeking out on wine and you're on bullet, wine bulletin boards, and then you go into a high volume wine store, it's, you see what the general consumer, how they view yep. wine, how they buy wine, what they spend on wine. It was just, you know, I realized how much I didn't know, first yep. of all. Yep. Uh, so it was humbling, and I just loved it. So it was a great experience. I did that for just a year, and then I got the fuck out of there. But, um, <laughs> but it was I lost money. I bought a bottle every time yeah, I was in there. Like, I came. I was a fifteen percent discount wherever you think you're saving money. But it you was a net negative. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. And so, why did you? What what led to you to say, you know, I, I'm going to write notes? I mean, I mean, obviously, I can see. Um, like Parker was a lawyer. There's certain fields like Parker was a lawyer. I went to law school. These are certain things where there's detail. Obviously, there's got to be detail in aerospace engineering. But what led you to start the Rowan Report? Uh, so I had all these notes. I was pretty prolific on Cellar Tracker um, and just loved writing about wine and thinking about wine and everything about it. And then it was 2008. Okay. I had my wife left, Tracy left for a holiday or something. So I had a weekend free. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to create my own website. So I thought, hey, I love Rhone varieties, and it gives me enough variety because Rhone varieties are growing everywhere. So yep. it's not being too specific. So I thought, I'll do the Rhone report. And I loved them anyways at that time, and I'd been to the Rhone numerous times. So I just built a website. So I did it myself. And, and it started as a blog, and then, God, I just hated the, the, the blog vibe that was out there. And so I said, I'm going to change it to be a publication. Mm. 
So I'm going to actually make it a little bit more professional. I'm going to do a PDF. So I'd, I'd write in, in Word, then I would put it into a PDF, and I'd publish it every three months. And I did that for three years for free. Uh, and then I moved to subscriber base for two years. And uh, it took off really well. And then I was kind of at a, really at a breaking point. I, I would kind of, my wife and I would commute together in the morning. We would get up pretty early. I would drive in at 6, and I'd drop her off at like 6.30. She's a teacher. Mm-hmm. And then I would work, and I would pick her up at uh, 3.30. And I have a normal life from about 4 to 8, and then I would write for the Rome Report from about 8 to 2 a.m. every day. And so I was, That's gangster, bro. So at the end of it, you know, I remember, I, it was funny, I had, we'd be driving in the morning, and I had, uh, if I hadn't spit as well as I'd done, or I was just exhausted, I'd taped a postcard I'd bought from Chateauneuf du Pop on my visor. I'd put my visor down, and there was this, you know, the beautiful castle on the hill with the sun. And it was like my motivation to, like, why I am I doing that. this to myself? I love that. And so, uh, yeah, it was doing really well. It was growing. I was getting, you know, 100% growth in those two years. And so I'm like, well, maybe I can make a go of that. And then I had an email from uh, Bob Parker. Mm-hmm who said, hey, wouldn't you come work for me? And, uh, yeah, that was a hard offer to say no to. I have huge respect mm-hmm. and admiration for Bob. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was thrilled to go work for him. So I quit engineering at that point and then worked for the Wine Advocate for a little less than five years. Yeah. And um, I think when you left, when you made the announcement, it had to do with uh, – because it, there's so many the, – the challenge with <coughs> – you said it in the seminar, but, like, First of all, you're, you know, it's your opinion and people should drink what they want. But then when you, when you have the, some of the larger publications, you have 35 people talking about it. So you can't get a sense of, of the palate. So like somebody's 93 could be, you know what I mean? It's just too hard to zero in. So what is it about having one unique voice that? Well, well so as you, you just described it perfectly, oh. the idea that everyone tastes the same is ridiculous. And so the goal of a critic is not that you should always agree with them. The goal of a critic is somebody that can give you some guidance and some help to find wines that, that you yep. want to like. And yep. so you do that. A critic does that by being consistent in how they describe wines, how they view it. Do they accurately describe the style that you can understand it? Um, and are they consistent in their scoring so you can help um, give them some guidance? If it's a panel or if there's 50 people and, you know, on, on every single region is a different person, I don't know how you calibrate or how you use that information. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're going to use a critic, you should be smart about it. And you have to know who that critic is. And yep. you have an idea of, hey, what do they taste? What mm-hmm. do they like? They, you know, and, and how that, that's how it works. Yeah. And so. And I love what you said. I tell people, I'm like, they're guideposts for me. Right. Like, like it just it just it's just a guide. Right. I don't have to like everything you like, but I love that. Um but, you know, you started, you know, uh, as a single critic. But uh, uh, last year you uh, expanded and you brought on uh, a wonderful friend, a guest of the podcast, yep. Audrey Frick. Yep. And uh, I, I hear uh, you, you Bob Parkered her from uh, One White Street. <laughs> I did. I did. I tell you, it took me a long time. I tell you, I struggle with it. So the idea, you know, the thing is, is that you do have to know your critic. And I think that one person can't cover the world today. Right. So you have to have more than one person if you want to offer coverage for different regions um, and so I knew Audrey really well and so when I was at the wine advocate she would do all these importer tastings for me she'd come over and help and I just have the utmost trust and admiration in her um, and so when I was trying to think hey you know there's so many Italian wines out there I can't I know she, she worked at Frosca she knows Italian yep. wines fabulously yep. well so I like so I said hey why don't you come right for me and she was like oh, what <laughs> you know she, <laughs> and then she kind of came back so maybe and then so we just did it kind of on a I would pay for the reports mm-hmm. type of thing. And then she was really stressed with one right street. And I'm like, you know, I have to get somebody full time. And so we kind of just, oh, we started looking to do the best we can. And finally I was like, come on, Audrey, please work with me. So 
So she left that. She'll be full-time. So she's going to cover kind of uh, Brunello and Piedmont and any blue chip Italian wines. Mm -hmm. And then she's also going to cover Champagne. So we're going to now cover Champagne. That's and awesome. she's going to cover, she's going to take over Sonoma from me. Okay. Which gives me a little bit more time because I've been incredibly swamped. And now I can maybe have a little bit more freedom on, yeah. on time to do other regions or wines or retrospectives. And we'll bring on Oregon as well. Oh, nice. So we have a new full-time wow, critic. Wow, that's super exciting, man. <clears throat> yeah, she's super cool. She, I, I, I'm so We're doing this, and people are like, she just sent me a little thing, and I was like, I'm not, I said, you can trust me. I'm your friend. I was, <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah, and I was, like, I was like, I was like, On camera. <laughs> Everybody, man. I love RG. She's the oh, no, best. She's, I tell you, it's so hard, especially when you do, uh, when you create your own business in, in an industry like the wine industry yep. where you travel – I mean, you're always in, not really compromising situations, but you always have to have a very good sense of integrity and yep. in what your job is and, and, you know, how you represent yourself. And so you have to have a huge amount of trust in people. Yeah. And so it's, you know, I, and I, Audrey has all of that. I just think the world of her. So I'm thrilled to, to have her on board. Yeah. Good on you, man. And so, um, you know, we're back at hospice. What do you, what do you, I mean, everybody's saying it's a people, but what are you most excited about to be back at hospice to Roman? You know, I love hospice. I've written and I've said in the past, I think it's one of the best wine events in the world. I really think the consumer that comes here uh, are not like score obsessed. They right. love wine. They're, they love to learn. And so it, the quality of the consumer is top notch. Uh, you get great producers. And I think you see there's certain uh, there's a vibe in Paso Robles. And it's driven a little bit by our own varieties in general, but not always, of just camaraderie uh, and friendship and sharing wines. Yeah. And so it's yeah. just such a great event. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fuck marry kill you, bro. Uh, <laughs> Grenache, Syrah, Movedra. Who you fucking? Who you marrying? Who you killing? I'm gonna disappoint you. I don't fuck any of them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's like, I'm, 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 he's like, I, I, I'm moving to Utah because I'm marrying all three of them. <laughs> I'm a free love type of guy, buddy. Awesome. <laughs> Jeff, thank you so much for spending some time uh, with us, man. Love, we'd love to get you uh, in the studio at some point. Um, uh, tell everybody where they can find you. <laughs> hey, JeffDunnick.com. I'm out there on all the social media channels or whatever. But, uh, yeah, thanks so much for your time. I'm thrilled to be here, and we'll, we'll make it happen in New York as right, well. <laughs> oh, my God. Here we are with yet another amazing guest. My guest right now. I'm excited. My guest is pretty epic because that's where she makes <laughs> wines. Ladies and gentlemen, Jordan Fiorentino. She's a passionate, dedicated, and not afraid to push the envelope. Um, she brings an enthusiastic and experienced spirit to the epic estate wines. She oversees all the wine and vine decisions, along with the day-to-day -day needs of the winery. So you're looking like the director of winemaking. Yes, vineyards, winemaking. Besides being crazy talented, Jordan also has to be wicked smart. Wicked uh, smart. She you know, <laughs> got a degree of engineering from Dartmouth. <laughs> and a master's degree in viticulture from UC Davis. Uh, Jordan earned her spurs. Where'd you come up with that? Working at her family's winery in, in Georgia. <laughs> and I know they make wine in Georgia because I was on a winery at one point oh, really? in 1996. On a hot air balloon. See, no. <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, but then she worked at Araujo Estate in Napa Valley, Antonori Winery in Italy, where she met her husband. And most recently, uh, she was head winemaker at Chalk Hill in Sonoma. Welcome, Jordan. Anything else you'd like to add? Most recently, uh, I moved to Paso in 2010, so ah. <laughs> I've been here for a long time. <laughs> but yes, most recently at Epic Estate Wines, where I still am. <laughs> totally. So, um, wow. 
Yeah, we first of all, everybody who's been up here you're, is amazing. You come to New York, you're going to be on the podcast. You're going to spend like two hours here. <gasps> oh you're, my it gosh, has to happen. I will come. Yeah, uh, yes. it has to happen. But um, so you're from Georgia. My mother's from Georgia. Where are you from in Georgia? I'm from Atlanta. Okay. I'm born and raised. The city. Okay. Yeah, more at, like a little bit north of the yeah. city. Uh, and I went to school near the airport. Okay. And yeah, I just was from Atlanta. That was me. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't really. My dad loved wine. Uh, and collected it um, when, whenever he finally, you know, like he was an attorney, didn't have any money for a really long time. And then when he had some success, he started collecting wine. And that's how I knew about wine. But everyone else thought winemaking as a profession was kind of like basket weaving. Yeah. You I, know? Mean, I mean, you went to Dartmouth <laughs> and you have like some really smart. Yeah. What is it? What is it again? It is engineering. Yes. At Dartmouth. Out of liberal arts school, though. <laughs> 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 just like to put random weird things uh, together uh, and then make them be my life. <laughs> <laughs> so when, like you said, when did you catch this winemaking? What was the idea of becoming a winemaker? Uh, so, yeah, I, I grew up, you know, when I, once my dad started collecting wine, we always have wine on the dinner table. And it was like, I didn't realize that bad wine existed until I went to college right. and we had to buy our own. <laughs> And then I realized I really did not like bad wine. But then the sort of dichotomy between the two really stuck out of my my mind. And I studied engineering, but I also studied art. Okay. And I really wanted to make something with my hands. I love to cook. I love to bake. Um, and then when I started, we used to visit winemaking regions wherever we were. I mean, my that was my dad when he was uh, an attorney. But later in life, he retired and planted a vineyard in the North Georgia mountains. Wow. And so we had visited wineries and vineyards all over in random places like North Carolina, mm -hmm. you know, Muscadine. Uh, yeah, all that <laughs> stuff like New Hampshire, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Everyone makes wine everywhere. So yep. we weren't sort of limited where like it has to be from California. Right, or It has right. to be from France. Um, and I just loved the combination of sort of art and science because that's what I studied mm. um, in winemaking. Mm. So mine was more of like a, I love what goes into making it because I was so young I didn't really have so much of an appreciation for all the different wines of the world and that kind of came with time yeah. so how'd you land gigs at Araujo and then Antonori <laughs> so you know when you're young and it's like um I don't know like things are so obvious like of course I'd do this because I want to be in Italy so I studied like what American <laughs> girl doesn't want to go to Italy. Exactly. And I just kind of maybe found sounds cliche that how I <laughs> met my husband there, too, because no, I, I loved Italy and I fell in love with Italy. I mean, it's so true, though. That's yeah. what happened. No, and those dudes are macking, man. The Italian winemakers are macking. They're like, like, they're just sharp. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Mark Adams is in the house. <laughs> He's pretty sharp, too, yeah, though. Know, He's like not an Italian guy, but... <laughs> No, he's the antithesis. Yeah, he's wonder. definitely not the Italian guy. <laughs> but um, I studied in Italy as an undergrad. Okay. So then gotcha. I knew I wanted to get back. Yeah. And while I was saying I knew I knew I loved the science and art combination of wine, I also really found a way back to Italy through wine. So wow. there were very many like I was very sure. Yeah. <laughs> at that age, <laughs> and now I don't know anything. But then I did. <laughs> So I think you said uh, earlier. Uh, so you did you did gigs at Araujo, and then you. How long were you at Chalk Hill, which was was small? I mean, it's 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 medium bigger size. now. It's bigger now, yeah. So I yeah, Chalk Hill was bigger, and then it kind of was small, and then it got bigger again. And I was there when it was small. Okay, cool. In the middle. Um, I was there before it got purchased by Foley. Yep. Uh, when mm -hmm. Fred Firth was still the owner, and it was uh, I took the job in 2007, 
And yeah, Manu, my husband and I wanted to move to California and uh, I found this awesome job and it was great. Um, and then, you know, things kind of progressed with the area and the times. There's a whole financial crisis yeah. during that time. Um, and I wanted to continue to make wine for a small brand where I could oversee the vineyards and the winemaking. And that's what brought me to Paso when I met the Armstrongs, who are the owners of Epic yeah. in 2010. So wow. quite a while ago. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it seems like yesterday probably to you probably. So it totally does. Kind of like what's your philosophy over at Epic? So because um, when I joined Epic, we really just had the vineyard. Um, one what's, of, the, what's the vineyard? The, vine the main vineyard is Pederewski yeah, Vineyard. Yeah, Pederewski, yeah. So it's about two and a half miles west of here. Yeah, I've, I've been uh, I've been over by there. Yeah. Oh, cool. And yeah, had, you probably I've drove had, by. Like, Saxon wines that have it in there. Yeah. So uh, we went to that. I visited that vineyard when I just first came down checking the area out um, with the Armstrongs and fell in love with the soils and the place and actually the people in Paso. And then um, I really wanted to be, like I said, in charge of a brand where I could like oversee the winemaking and the vineyards. Not because I had all the, I definitely more familiar with the winemaking side back then. Okay. And I knew I didn't have all the answers for the vineyard, but I just wanted to be involved in that whole process. Like more of the like new, you know, think about 10 years ago, 15 years ago, the new process for the winemaking wine is happening in the vineyard. There's not this separate like vineyard manager, winemaker, mm -hmm. like. Uh, dichotomy like very much flows together um, so that's what I was looking to build and um, yeah I we had had a couple vintages already and I got to taste them um, two of them were in barrel not bottled yet and just came here and since then we've added on vineyards and built a winery and the brand like established the brand basically yeah. so it's been awesome what are you most proud of uh, of your work here oh uh, my gosh oh <sighs> that's a Wow, that's a big question. Let's see. I'm really proud of the wines and my team and like what we've all been able to accomplish um, in the last, you know, 10 to 15 years. So uh, really wanted to make a name for Paso on uh, restaurants, tables mm -hmm. across the country. So not having we're still a small brand, but we wanted to always make sure we had some distribution mm -hmm. to really show uh, this wonderful place to people and then also create an amazing experience for people to come from out of town and really see what the Paso lifestyle is like and we're on York Mountain which is so beautiful if, yeah I don't know we'll have to get you out there no, I'm coming yeah, okay I'm, yeah, no, I, 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 come. I, I, I actually um you know um Paso Ro Paso Wine um Joel they they've sponsored the podcast uh -huh. and I went to the master class and they gave me a six pack of wines and one was I was the first time I got to try when it was like oh. a 2012 oh or 2016 I'm trying to remember. it was just good awesome it was so Thank good you. I was like I was like, why haven't I been on these? I'm like, I'm like, oh, um, what? Yeah. But if you were, you were gonna tell someone like, like, what's your most memorable wine you've made at the estate? <laughs> we're outside. Uh, <laughs> okay, so the most memorable for me was is probably this is kind of crazy, but it was a Morvedra from 2013. Oh. I had this idea that I wanted to um, really highlight that grape in uh, one of our wines. Um, and we have a GSM blend, but for a while it was Grenache based. It's called Veracity. It's our green label. Um, and we're 100% estate grown, so oversee all the winemaking and uh, vineyard That's stuff. Awesome. Uh, but so that wine used to be Grenache based with a lot of Moved and a little Syrah. One year I took this one lot of Moved and just like really focused and concentrated on it. and. 
I actually did a really crazy thing where I threw rocks in the tank that we were fermenting because oh, wow. I really wanted to highlight the minerality. I don't think it made a difference in the <laughs> wine, but I loved that wine. It like made me dance when it was like still fermenting. Mm. It was good even from that moment. And that year we bottled it separately. Uh, we have a label that changes every year if there's something really exciting, mm -hmm. like a wine we don't want to blend away. Yep. And that was our 2013 creativity. It was 100% Moved. And then starting in, I think, um, you know, that wine then, you know, gets to bottle. In 2015, we started evaluating it. And then I always had this dream of having a Moved-based wine. So I actually switched our, after that, I switched our veracity to have to more slightly more Moved than Grenache. And so I would say that's probably my most memorable, the 2013 creativity. So um, just one last question. I love this is so much fun for hospice. You're a winemaker. I got three grapes. Oh, you, you have to you get to fornicate with one. Oh, you get to marry one and you have to kill one. Grenache, Syrah or Movedra. Oh, who you God. Fornicating with, who you oh, God. <laughs> oh, OK. Oh, my God. That's really hard for me. Well, I obviously <laughs> she was just gushing over. I know. So I'm, like, I'm like, do I really want <laughs> to marry it, though? <laughs> OK, maybe a fornicate with that one. OK, there you go. And then. Okay, that, yeah, Moved, I mean, Syrah, I guess I'd marry, because, like, it's okay. an easy, yeah. like, I just love how, well, at least from our Paderewski vineyard and other vineyards I've tried around here, how it can really uh, be different depending on where it's grown. Mm -hmm. um, and then <laughs> I love Grenache, but sometimes I want to kill it, there because <laughs> um, I really try to make a very delicate one, yeah. and I call it the Pinot of the Rhone, but when the tannins I get too intense. I all the time. Pinot Noir wants to be Grenache when it yes. grows up. Yes, it but then sometimes range. the tannins. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then it like, and then I say that, and then the tannins are freaking too strong on the Grenache, and then I like this person thinks I'm crazy that I just called it the Pinot of the Rhone. So that's when I would kill it. <laughs> <laughs> so Jordan, thanks for taking some time oh, to be with thank us. You guys. Tell everybody where they can uh, be a part of what you're doing at uh, Epic Estate. Yeah, you can come find us on epicwines.com or visit us at York Mountain. Um, we have a tasting room in our winery up there. And we're at hospice or pouring the next two days or whenever you come in the future. Yeah, be um, here in 2023, everybody. At 2023. Or maybe I come find you at uh, your neighborhood. Your, I don't know. Tell me what awesome restaurant we need to be in and we'll try to make it happen. Well, thanks again. Thank you. Uh, looking forward to seeing you in New York and actually coming out to visit. And That would be awesome. Yeah. 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 Thank you, guys. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list. <laughs>